Morning Liberty. Well, what is going on, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. I'm one of the hosts here, Charles Chuck Thompson, with me as always, Mr. Nathaniel Paul Thurston, the beloved, benevolent mm. host of the show who allows me to come join whenever I want to, and I appreciate it more than you know. I, I'm glad you appreciate it, man. We appreciate you being here today, kind of, uh, but today is White Pill Wednesday, so we're only going to say good things kind of on air mm. for a little bit yeah. during the during the show the live group will still hate me but that's fine yeah well mm. they hate you because they ain't you exactly you know it's the thing peanut butter and jealous well this is good morning liberty we talk about life liberty and the pursuit of meaning every single day of the week so if you want to you can join like other people have been doing at good morning liberty.locals.com you know amanda's right i got fans in the live group too mm-hmm. we should just talk about them we put too much emphasis on Ignore the haters or the haters and I've got a lot of fans. Joe Bizzle's a fan for a whole year. Wow. He said he was going to stop hating me for this year. Got That's a one-year one subscription one, to exactly the Charlie Non-Hater Amanda, Club. Amanda, uh, Daisy, Matt, and uh, uh, there's several others. I don't remember all my... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all yeah, my there's friend. at least that Magoo? many. Magoo has never hated on me. So there's so many. There's more people that love me than hate me. I Bobby think- McShay? She is a fan of mine. Um, so while I'm working on this video right here, Charlie, won't you tell everyone with that very first headline, this is White Pill Wednesday, but I consider when I read this, um, Nicole posted this in the group earlier. Um, it wasn't in the White Pill channel, but when I read it, I was like, hey, this is a white pill because he's finally admitting the truth on something and actually getting it out there. Maybe this could lean towards uh, less tyrannical policies i don't know probably not and probably still just leave the tyrannical policies not actually because today is white pill wednesday yeah so, exactly so it's i wonder be how the supreme court's going to come down on this too um now with this information coming out um anyway dr science himself uh, i think finally told the truth maybe that's why this is a white pill because we love the truth mm-hmm. here so from the washington post here do you have the video where he said it too? i just got it pulled up yeah okay when Dr. Fauci says Omicron will infect just about everybody, mm. Fauci says the Omicron coronavirus variant will infect just about everybody, regardless of vaccination status. Top U.S. infectious disease expert Anthony S. Fauci said Tuesday, Mr. Science himself has let everyone know that you're nothing you can do about Getting Omicron. That, yeah. That and, thing's going to get you. And so what I think is important from this is that we could not lean so much into the policies where they're trying to prevent the spread of the infection because there is not going to be a way to actually to, to realistically prevent it. And so that's why I'm hoping that there's something good that comes from him actually coming out there and admitting this. Let's hear how he said it in his own science words. Steve, is that I believe we have but we're not there yet. And let me explain what I mean. I think in many respects, Omicron with its extraordinary, uh, uh, unprecedented degree of efficiency of transmissibility will ultimately find just about everybody, those who have been vaccinated and vaccinated and boosted would get exposed. Some, maybe a lot of them will get infected, but will very likely with some exceptions, do reasonably well in the sense of not having hospitalization and death. Unfortunately. Okay. Then he's going to go on to say that people who are unvaccinated are going to have uh, a harder time mm-hmm. and bear the brunt of most of the bad things that happen. We've, uh, we've seen the data on that. The data's pretty clear on that. So what I'm hoping will come from this is actually us pursuing less less of the uh, lockdown policies, less of the uh, infection spread mitigation measures when your top infectious disease expert is out there saying that, hey, just about everyone's going to get it, even the vaccinated and boosted population. The problem is he's trying to change the world. He hasn't even cleaned up his own room. His room is a mess. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You try, you you know, to clean your own room before you try to change the world. What you're supposed to come 
away with on this as wow he has so many books he can't even fit them all on the shelf look at mm. this this mad scientist over here working so much on doctor things and infectious disease experting all the time that he can't clean up his room that's that's what you're saying but he's gonna clean up yours charlie don't yeah. worry no he's, he's gonna, gonna clean keep up your we got to take a break and talk about our sponsor better help is there something interfering with your happiness something preventing you from achieving your goals i've gone through this before Charlie's gone through this before. He uses BetterHelp himself. I've gone and talked to counselors before. Sometimes maybe you're being a little bit too hard on yourself. Maybe there's a different perspective that you need to look out for. Taking care of your mental health is something that is very important and it's also very possible. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You're going to connect in a safe and private online environment. So much more convenient than fighting traffic, going into the office somewhere. You just get on the app and talk to someone. You can start talking to them in under 24 hours. This is not some self-help app. This is actual professional counseling. You can send a message to your counselor anytime, and you're going to get a timely and thoughtful response. And you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without ever having to go to that freaking waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to giving you great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. If they match you up with someone and you don't like them, you can switch over to someone else. It's more affordable than actually going into the office because you're just doing it over an app. And this is available worldwide. You got expertise in so many different areas. Depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family, grief, self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. This is very convenient, it's professional, it's affordable because you're doing it through an app instead of going into the office. You can go to the website and check out the testimonials. And by the way, this is not a crisis line. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. There's a reason for that because a lot of people are using this app to get help. If you wanna start living a happier life today as a listener, you get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com GML. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P. That's betterhelp.com slash GML. Okay, we'll move on to the next one. We're going to try and run through quite a few of these today. Another potentially good thing here, athletes who had COVID will be considered fully vaccinated. The NCAA says in new guidelines. NCAA on Thursday released its new COVID-19 guidance for winter sports, and the guidance contains some important news. Quote, fully vaccinated individuals now include those within two months of receiving Johnson & Johnson vaccine, within two months, five months of receiving the Pfizer vaccine series, or six months of receiving the Moderna vaccine, and individuals who are beyond the aforementioned timeline and have received the booster. So if you had the booster with any of those, then... Any time goes, it never wanes. Uh, quote, individuals within 90 days of a documented COVID-19 infection fall within the equivalent of fully vaccinated. Okay. So there's a slight problem there, but the national immunity is now considered fully vaccinated by the NCAA for three months. In many parts of the world, including the United States, vaccine passports are still required for travel, but they're not including any kind of natural immunity. But I just think it's good that we have someone coming out here and saying, hey, at least for these first three months, we're going to recognize this. They're following the racist, uh, white supremacist, conspiracy theorist, mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers himself. Yeah, and that's who's running the NCAA now. It's probably a Trump supporter. They're now, um, they're now immunized. They're mm -hmm. considered immunized by having natural immunity. That's a good thing. Now, the, uh, what Amanda just pointed out, we just read a study that was posted by the uh, Wall Street Journal a couple days ago saying that well, after... That thing has turned completely well, yeah. right wing now, yeah. but... After 90 days, they were showing a negative efficacy for people who were vaccinated. So you still have this weird thing where uh, they're recognizing the doses of the shots for five months for Pfizer or six months for Moderna, but the most recent study cited by the Wall, the Wall Street Journal was saying that after three months, they're showing negative efficacy with Omicron, meaning that you're more likely to be infected than people who have not been vaccinated. 
which is likely due some to natural immunity and some to the fact that your behavior is different when you think that you're safer. Yeah. A little bit of a false sense of security. Well, because you have a cape on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're a superhuman. You a vaccinated cape. Mm-hmm. It lets you do whatever you want. Okay, well, we're going to move right on with, uh, I mean, there's there's a few good things out there today, and then maybe the last one's not all that uh, not all that great, but we'll we'll see. We'll see if we still look at it as good. All right, from Newsweek, Dominic Black, who purchased the AR-15 for Kyle Rittenhouse, avoids jail with plea deal. So Dominic Black, the man who purchased the AR-15 rifle for Kyle Rittenhouse, will not be sent to prison. A plea deal was accepted by Kenosha County White Supremacist Circuit Court <laughs> Judge Bruce Schroeder on Monday. I added some words there. Yeah. After a six-minute hearing as a result of the plea deal, only six minutes, mm -hmm. hey, job done, two felony counts of intent to deliver a dangerous weapon to a minor were dropped. Instead, Black pleaded no contest to a reduced charge of contributing to the delinquency of a minor. The reduced charge is a misdemeanor that can be punishable with jail time, and Blair could have faced up to nine months. However, Assistant District Attorney Thomas Binger agreed to reduce the charge to a non-criminal citation, meaning Black will only have to pay a $2,000 fine. He was like, look, I'm tired of losing. Yeah, I don't want to do this again. Banger. Well, and, well, I guess you can, yeah, one more paragraph. and then On the last day of Rittenhouse's trial, Judge Schroeder dismissed a charge of being a minor in possession of a firearm. He sided with defense attorneys who argued that Wisconsin law prohibits minors from possessing short-barreled rifles and short-barreled shotguns, but allows them to possess long guns. Yeah, so... His, his gun qualified as a long gun. Exactly what um, Amanda just beat me to it again here. I'm... I'm wondering why they had to go with the plea. I, I realize that you're you're worried that you could actually be found guilty, and so there's a risk there. So if you can get out of this with only a two thousand dollar fine, uh, then that's a that's a pretty good deal overall. But they dropped the gun charge on Rittenhouse because they found that it was legal for him to possess that gun, and so what I'm wondering is why they were still charges of intent to deliver a dangerous weapon to a minor when the judge dismissed the charge of being a minor in possession of a firearm. Aren't those two things kind of weird together? I don't it know. It could be the way the statutes read as well. I mean, you know, that depending on what they're trying yeah. to charge him with because they don't always line up. Yeah. Legislators aren't good about that kind of thing. That's how you find loopholes mm -hmm. in the law. So that you know, overall, still good though. I mean, he got a gun for someone else, and people would look down on that. But he's not going to be going to jail. He's going to be paying a two thousand dollar fine. I think that m justice has mostly prevailed in the case up there in Kenosha. I think it has mostly prevailed. The thing, um, reason I say mostly is because I don't think that people really should have been held in jail and stuff like that for any lengthy amount of times or paid any of the fees that they've had to pay looks but. like i'm being corrected here statute reads identical uh rikita did a thing on it i i haven't looked into it i was just you know spitballing spitballing yeah i haven't actually looked into it uh i mean the other reason might possibly be because he didn't want to go through with the trial i mean yeah i think that lawyer fees included in that kind of stuff and sometimes a plea deal is your best way out of it and no matter how small the risk is there is still the risk that you could end up spending that time in jail and okay two thousand bucks to for sure not go to jail and uh, i think i i think pretty much anyone and i don't would even take have to that. plead guilty you know? i can plead no contest yeah so um anyhow which means he wasn't convicted of even the misdemeanor i haven't seen any more updates on this today i've been looking for them but have you guys seen the story of novak Djokovic? You guys ever heard of that guy before? Oh, listen, I don't watch. I don't watch tennis. All right, that's not a not a thing. But this is uh, like the best tennis player in the world, and he's been trying to go and play in the Australian Open, and he's not vaccinated. Okay, and so there's a. Let me just give you the. Let me just give you the timeline of events, and the actual Open I think is starting tomorrow, and I know that they at least re released him from detention uh, but they haven't said for sure that he can play yet and they have said that they can still uh, they can still cancel his visa so anyway uh, just to give you a little bit of backstory on this uh, 
Djokovic has won the Australian Open a record nine times in his career. The 34-year-old Serbian has also won 20 Grand Slam singles, an achievement matched. Uh, but you guys ever heard of Roger Federer? I've heard of that guy before. I thought he was like the best person ever to play, but there's this other guy out there that sounds like he's pretty good too. I don't know. Rafael Nadal? I still don't I still don't watch tennis. Yeah. And I don't know if this is going to make me watch tennis, but this is interesting. And it's a white pill because he stood up to the tyrannical Australian government, and so far, he might actually be able to win. Here's a little timeline. Uh, sometime back in October and November, he filed for an Australian temporary entry visa to, complete, to compete in the Australian Open. Uh, Mid-November, he was granted the visa. Mid-December, he tested positive. December 16th, this ends up being important for all the news stories right now. December 16th, he tested positive for COVID-19. The same day, he's photographed at three events where none of the other participants are masked. The following day is also photographed at a youth awards event. And this ended up being at least somewhat disproven. It said on December 16th, he took a rapid test that came back negative. He also took a PCR test. And that PCR test ended up coming back positive two next, days later. Two days later. I was going to say yeah. the next day. So on November, it is true that on December 16th, he took a test that came back positive, but the positive result did not come back until December 18th. So instead of the narrative right now, which is that he went to a whole bunch of events, he actually said that he did go to one event after he found out that he had tested positive. But he wore a mask, which means you can't spread, you can't spread the virus when mm. you're wearing a mask. Yeah. December 22nd, he tested negative. On the 30th, he receives a medical exemption from COVID vaccination for entry from Tennis Australia on the grounds that he had just recovered from COVID. Natural immunity. He's immunized. He is immunized. On January 1st, his team submits his travel declaration to the Australian Ministry of Home Affairs, which notifies them that it has been assessed and he is cleared for quarantine-free arrival. On the 2nd, he receives a border travel permit by the state government of Victoria, um, on the 4th, he departs from Spain. On I didn't realize they had to get all these permits and visas yeah, and stuff just to compete. On the 5th, he arrives in Melbourne late that night. His passport is taken, and he is escorted to a small room where he is interviewed by border control officers. On the 6th, his visa is canceled by the Australian government, and he is taken to a temporary detention facility at the Park Hotel in Melbourne. And now... Uh, this happened a couple days ago, and we're still trying to figure out exactly what all is going to come from it. Let's see. He moved one step cl closer to competing for his record 21st Grand Slam title after an Australian judge ordered his release from immigration detention on Monday. The latest turn in the five-day saga over his refusal to be vaccinated for COVID-19. The judge found that, jo that Djokovic had been treated unfairly after his arrival at a Melbourne airport where he had been cleared to play with a vaccination exemption. After detaining him, the border authorities promised to let him speak with tournament, organize, tournament organizers and his lawyers early Thursday morning, only to cancel his visa before he was given a chance. And then they put in here, restoring the visa does not guarantee that he will be able to play for his 10th Open title when the tournament begins on Monday. In court, the government's lawyers warned that the immigration minister could still cancel his visa, which would lead to an automatic three-year ban. Jesus. So we're still going to see. And now there is, so one thing. Freedom love in Australia, folks. I like the fact that he held to his ground, stuck to his guns. He didn't want to get the vaccine. He used natural immunity. He got the visa. He was able to go and he stuck to it this entire time. They probably could have shot him in the arm real quick while he was in the detention facility and they would have given his visa back, something like that. But he stuck to it this whole time. On the, other, on the other side, there is an unfairness thing, like what Joe Bizzle just said with the rest of the people in Australia or other people who are trying to go there, where they're kind of letting this guy slide in on his natural immunity in a, in a time when they wouldn't be letting a lot of other people do that. They're doing this because he's super famous and is going to compete in the Australian Open. But anyway, to me, the white pill part is the fact that he's out there sticking to his guns. I'm sure he's getting a lot of crap for it, but he's still doing it. Yeah, it's it's also not recommended to get uh, vaccinated after having COVID. Yeah, for like ninety days. That's true. So maybe way. he wouldn't have done that anyway. I mean, yeah, if you're gonna, yeah, because the you have a much higher chance uh, or a much higher risk of clotting um, because of that. So the the argument would not be that he needs to be treated like everyone else is being treated. 
the argument would be that everyone else needs to be treated like he's being treated, except for the detention facility part. Everyone, including him, shouldn't be treated like that at all. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's the he real. He was able to travel. Everyone well, he's else still should detained be treated for like five him. days, yeah. though, which is crazy. That's what I said without the detention facility. We're talking about Australia, though. Five days ain't nothing, man. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> it's five, five days at the Park Hotel? Jeez. <laughs> got a casino attached That's to not everything. like going to Camp COVID down under over there that they got set up. Okay. Let's go to Camp COVID. So that's a, it's a little bit good, I guess. A little bit of white pill yeah, right there for you. Pill. It's that, uh, I don't know. That story is so crazy. I can't believe you haven't heard of Djokovic before. Don't. I watch NFL Network the day after if the Cowboys win. If they don't win, then I don't watch it. And then I'll watch it like the morning of a game. And then that is the extent of all of my sportsing that I do right there. That's it. So they don't talk a lot of tennis on, on NFL Network. So I really haven't co- I really haven't seen any of it. Also, the, another part of the story that's so crazy is like this guy did everything right. Mm-hmm. Got all the visas, permits, everything lined up, like got all this permission. And then the, the lawyers the, for the government still argue that this one other person, the immigration minister, could still cancel his visa. Like, yeah. All these other, could. all these ha- other hand washing departments, they all gave him a pass, right? And they're like, yeah, you're good to go, good to go. And then all of a sudden, this other hand washing station was like, yeah, we could still cancel it if we want to. So the hand washing stations are Charlie's code for the the bureaucracy that uh, that is constantly approving their own things that they do for the other branches of the bureaucracy, the other people inside of it. It's they're, like they're this, always investigating themselves. Yeah, they're always uh, they're always clearing themselves of any kind of wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's amazing. It's an amazing relationship that they have. The next story was actually from last week. Someone posted it in the group, but it was good. We didn't get to talk about it. And I think that we need to give another shout out to someone who's sticking to their guns and standing up to the, to the tyrannical powers out there. All right. From the National Review, Nassau County Executive defies New York governor on school mask mandates. So Nassau County's newly sworn in Republican County Executive issued an order on Thursday allowing school districts to decide whether to institute mask mandates in defiance of New York state policy, which is good. This is why local things are important, Mm -hmm. folks. School boards are comprised of elected officials who make decisions based upon the unique circumstances of each district, County Executive Bruce Blakeman said at a press conference. They are in the best position to make these decisions, not the autocracy in Albany. This executive order gives the school districts their own individual right to make decisions within the county under our home rule authority that we have as a county. Our county is larger than nine states, and we don't need people in Albany telling us what we should be doing. Blakeman said county police and firefighters will not enforce mask mandates handed down from Albany, saying they have far more important things to do than chase people around to see if they are wearing masks. How about that? Can I get an amen and an A woman? <laughs> Praise be to him. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, so uh, that's, you know, we need these people to stand up to the, even the state government sometimes. And this just kind of shows you how important it is to even have your local, your county officials, your your city officials to be on the right side. That's why, you know, we really should, especially on the libertarian side of things, we got to focus on the smaller elections. And once again, I don't care what freaking letter they have next to their name. This is a Republican right here. And, and they signed an order, yes, but the order was to defy the state's order. And so I, that's, my kind of, that's my kind of executive order right there that they're signing. And uh, we'll see if they get any pushback from this. But I felt like that needed to be mentioned on White Pill Wednesday. We need people all around the country doing this stuff. Currently right now, this is the quickest numbers I could find. Um, but currently right now... In New York City alone, the N- NYPD has 42,578 rape kits in custody that they haven't tested dating back to 1980. Wow. 1980. So they should put some 40, people on doing that, maybe. 42 years. Uh, here's another one here from uh, North Cal- NorthCountryPublicRadio.org. Not sure where that's at, but uh, police in New York failed to process nearly 90% of rape kits performed on alleged victims of sexual assault over the last six months. This was published uh, June 10th of 2020. Yeah, so I think they probably have other things they could probably focus on, like actual physical 
assault. Like liberties that have been taken away from other people. Yeah. Injustices that have taken place that they could actually spend their police work on. Yeah. I could I could see that as a thing that they should work on mm-hmm. for sure. The uh, the next one here in the stack. <laughs> Jeff said that's a lot of Cuomo DNA. <laughs> It's a busy guy. He's working hard out there, okay? Um, Don't test this one. Now we're going to talk about Ray Epps. Okay, so now we're just getting that out there in the open. Sounds like it needs to be a junior, like Ray Epps Jr. He might be a junior, man. I don't know. All right, we're going to talk about Ray Epps real quick. And the the white pill part of this to me... Now, let let me be clear. We have no idea whether or not Ray Epps is a Fed. We actually don't know. Come on, man. Would I lean towards him being one? Yeah. Am I biased in that leaning towards him being one? Yes. But I would like to believe that he is one because uh, we know that the FBI does this, that the CIA does this all around the world. The FBI does this. And uh, I, I think that it's highly likely. And anyway, Senator Ted Cruz was asking some questions about Ray Epps. And uh, the, uh, the answers left a little bit to be desired. And it, it's, it actually, I was surprised that C-SPAN actually posted this. That C-SPAN posted this. And to me, when I watch this... Well, they just post everything. I mean... I know, it's just... They just run 24-7. C-SPAN's videos got... They put this clip out of Ted Cruz asking the question and the person he was asking, I can't remember the person's name anymore let me see fbi's jill sanborn uh saying that she couldn't answer that question and you so you're you're throwing out a lot of speculation when you decide to put up a clip you know was ray epps a fbi informant or working on behalf of the fbi and the fbi saying that i can't answer that it was weird to me that c-spam posted that out there in the way that they did they could have said jill sanborn destroys ted cruz (laughs) Puts Ted Cruz in his place or something like that. Instead, they posted it out there like that. So let's watch. Well, because it's probably national security. That's, you know, let's, the information's let's, classified. Let's see what I just feel like, like when you ask, is he an FBI informant? If he's not an FBI informant, I feel like you should be able to say, no, he's not an FBI informant. You know, I'm not saying that denying implies guilt. And I am saying that in this case, in my mind, denying implies guilt. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I'm seeing here, on this. folks. Nate, is if you deny something, you're guilty. Yep, automatically guilty. Let's just listen to Ted Cruz asking all these questions and how she responded. I want to turn to the FBI? How many FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the events of January sixth? Sir, I'm sure you can appreciate that I can't go into the specifics of sources and methods. Uh, Did any FBI agents or confidential informants actively participate in the events of January 6th? Yes or no? Sir, I can't, I can't answer that. Did any FBI agents or confidential informants commit? It's Okay, so it's that right there. We're going to listen to the rest of it. But did any FBI agents participate in the insurrection on January 6th? Mm-hmm. Could she just say no if the answer were no? That's all I want to know. Could she just say no? They didn't participate if the answer was no. Why can't she say no? It's national security, Nate. You're not privileged. Yeah. Uh, Okay, let's see. I know, I, I know. She obviously needs to put herself on like mute Amanda too saying, I know that there's, there's probably, yeah, that only happens for a couple questions. It's super annoying. Um, they are... They are actually in the process of an investigation still, so technically maybe she can't answer anything, but I just wanted to discuss this here for a minute and get all of your brains in the conspiracy mode for a second. Crimes of violence on January 6th. 6th. I can't answer that, sir. Did any FBI agents any F- or FBI informants actively encourage and incite crimes of violence on January 6th? 6th. Sir, I can't answer that. Ms. Sadburn, who is Ray Epps? I'm aware of the individual, sir. Uh, I don't have the specific background to him. Well, there are a lot of people who are understandably very concerned about Mr. Epps. On the night of January 5th, 2021, Epps wandered around the crowd that had gathered 
and there's video out there of him chanting, tomorrow we need to get into the Capitol, into the Capitol. This was strange behavior, so strange that the crowd began chanting, fed, 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 fed. Ms. Sandburn, was Ray Epps a fed? Sir, I cannot answer that question. The next day. The next day. On January 6th, Mr. Epps is seen whispering to a person, and five seconds later, five seconds after he's whispering to a person, that same person begins to forcibly tear down the barricades. Did Mr. Epps urge them to tear down the barricades? Sir, similar to the other answers, I cannot answer that. Shortly thereafter, the FBI put out a public post listing, seeking information on individuals connected with violent crimes on January 6th. Among those individuals in the bottom there is Mr. Epps. The FBI publicly asked for information, identifying, offering cash rewards leading to information, leading to, for information leading to the arrest. This was posted and then sometime later, magically, Mr. Epps disappeared from the public posting. According to public records, Mr. Epps has not been charged with anything. No one's explained why a person videoed urging people to go to the Capitol, a person whose conduct was so suspect the crowd believed he was a Fed, would magically disappear from the list of people the FBI was looking at. Ms. Sanborn, a lot of Americans are concerned that the federal government deliberately encouraged illegal and violent conduct on January 6th. My question to you, and this is, a, this is not an ordinary law enforcement question, this is a question of a public accountability. Did federal agents or those in service of federal agent actively encourage violent and criminal conduct on January 6th? Not to my knowledge, sir. Thank you. Not to my knowledge. There. I want a little bit more than not to my knowledge. <laughs> I'm just saying, I want a little bit more than that. That's a good way okay. of, of not, of you know, that's a good way of answering the questions. Take note, folks, if you're ever interrogated for something. Yeah. Um, you know where, to me, where the best evidence was, I realized that maybe she can't answer a lot of stuff. The weirdest thing is how they took him off of that list. And you're talking about two or three days after January 6th, when they had not gone through all the investigations yet and watched all the footage and identified every single person. Why was he... So now they found that he did not actually go into the building, which is another weird thing since he was telling people to go into the building and he was right there by the barricades and he never went into the building. Uh, but um, why is it that they removed him from the list so quickly? Did they, did they already go through everything and find out that he didn't go in there? A couple days later, that's just weird to me. That part's weird. And Maybe once, he was the first one they looked into. I guess so. Once, uh, once again, I think I'm, I think Amanda just beat me to my next point. Once again, don't worry about any of this, y'all, because the top of my Twitter news feed says that Ray Epps testified that he is not an informant or working for the FBI. The January sixth committee says right here. So. Case closed. I'm yeah. I'm very happy. Are you convinced? Able to investigate it. The 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 January sixth committee says that he is not an informant to working for the FBI. And so when someone denies being an informant, um, you just got to believe them. And they're you're a conspiracy theorist if you think anything else. You just you that just puts the conspiracy theorist to bed. Now here's how they're they're saying that this has all been disproven now. The Washington Post says another January 6th conspiracy theory suffers a reality inflicted blow. So this is just all crazy people. Uh, measured in Fox News airtime, there's perhaps no January 6th conspiracy, Jan 6 conspiracy theory more popular than the idea that federal agents helped spur the violence that overwhelmed the Capitol on Jan 6, 2021. And within that particular theory, no individuals received more attention than Ray Epps, an Arizona man who has been identified as a person encouraging crowd supporting president, uh, the crowd supporting President Donald Trump on January 5th to enter the Capitol the following day and who appeared near the scene of a first barrier breach. But of course, people have explained why Epps 
might not be arrested or even sought by federal investigators. Here, for example, is the Huffington Post, Ryan Riley explaining why. They say there's no public evidence that Ray Epps entered the interior of the U.S. Capitol building or assaulted law enforcement outside. Like thousands of others, he was unlawfully present on restricted grounds of the Capitol, but the DOJ cannot possibly charge all of those cases. In other words, there's another likely reason that Epps wasn't being sought by the FBI. He was already cleared. And so the, um, the one thing I will say there, so I, to check this out, I actually went through the list of all 700 and something people and their charges this morning just to see what their charges were. Uh, to see to see what they were charging people with. Uh, 725 defens- defendants have been arrested. And what I will say, in partial of their defense, what they're mostly charging people with was entering a, uh, entering a restricted space or whatever it was. Uh, let me see what the actual, most of the charges. They got assaulting, resisting, or impeding officers or employees. That's 225 people. 75 individuals who've been charged with using a deadly or dangerous weapon or causing serious bodily injury. Flagpole. Mm-hmm. Approximately 10 individuals have been arrested on a series of charges that relate to assaulting a member of the media or destroying their equipment. Shitting on Nancy Pelosi's desk. This is the big one. <laughs> 640 of the defendants were charged with entering or remaining in a restricted federal building or grounds. Or grounds. And the Huffington Post writer did just say that he was unlawfully present on restricted grounds of the Capitol. Uh, 600 and however many, 640 of the people were charged with entering or remaining in restricted federal building or grounds. I don't know. But he wasn't. It seems, yeah, but not him. They clearly know who he is. They've talked to him. They know that he was entering restricted grounds, which some of the people were charged with. A lot of the people were charged with. Uh, But he did not actually go into the Capitol. Which is another thing that, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist about it, just seems a little weird since he was out there telling people that they needed to go into the Capitol. There's 40 people here who have been charged with conspiracy. Conspiracy? Conspiracy to obstruct a congressional proceeding. Conspiracy to obstruct law enforcement during a civil disorder. Conspiracy to injure an officer or some combination of the three. Yeah. I mean, couldn't even be, he couldn't even be charged with conspiracy. Could they have gotten him for incitement? They got Trump for it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Probably Ray Epps is worse than <laughs> Trump, but oh well. Let's impeach Ray Epps. Listen, I'm not even, I don't care whether or not they charge this guy. Or I would care whether or not it was the FBI sending people out there to incite people to do something. But at the end of the day, even though mob mentality is not a real thing, as we found out on Monday, um, even though they had their, their mob out there doing stuff, you don't have to do what someone else is telling you to do. And if it's the wrong thing to do, then it's the wrong thing to do, okay? So I'm not placing Jan 6 on Ray Epps, but I would like to know if the U.S. government was involved in inciting people to this erection. And we'll never know. We'll never, we're never actually going to know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we... And you're crazy just for questioning it. Oh, yeah. By the way. You're a crazy conspiracy theorist. Right-wing nut job when you say that. So... Maybe the last thing here, Charlie, we are continuing to see the massive shifting narrative. This morning, I found a piece from AP News actually talking about how they are shifting the narrative and why they are doing it. And I just think that we are about to enter a time of peace and tranquility (laughs) where all we have to worry about are racist voting laws. Exactly. And that's it. Yeah, it's time to move on, folks. And Jan 6, from and AP, our, our entire democracy. From AP News, Omicron wave prompts media to rethink which data to report. Mm-hmm. Folks, now it's now's the time we have to rethink this whole thing. Uh, maybe conservatives were correct, maybe not, but we're just going to rethink this. For two years... Well, they weren't then, Charlie, but right. with the OG, but with Omicron... Mm-hmm. All the rules are different. Different. The your personal liberties and the way that the media incites all this panic that all changes depending on the infectiousness of the virus. And in fact, the more infectious the virus is, the less they need to talk about it. Exactly. You know, it, it matters the transmiss the transmissible mm-hmm. 
you know, the transmissibility or yeah, exactly. that's what this that's is. That's what yeah. actually matters. So for two years, coronavirus case counts and hospitalizations have been u- widely used barometers of the pandemic's march across the world. I didn't know it was on a march. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's standing up for its rights. Exactly. Okay? It's got a right to be here, too. This is a living thing. Exactly. Who are we as humans to say that this thing needs to be <laughs> taken off of this planet? But the Omicron wave is making a mess of the usual stats. I probably have Omicron right now. I'm so tired. It's the it's main ma- symptom, actually, is being I know. tired after you I don't get enough sleep. Couldn't wake up this morning. Yeah. Making a mess of the usual statistics, forcing news organizations to rethink the way they report such figures. It's making a mess of the usual statistics, mm-hmm. folks. So now we have to redo the statistics in our favor. Because it's making a mess of the whole thing. What's also changing is that we're starting to look more into the statistics, like how many people are actually in the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's a, That seems to be something people have just found out. Isn't that to something? I'm going to go back and find the time that we did a whole episode dedicated to how many people were probably actually in the hospital due to COVID and how many of them were incidental. Because it was like and a it, year ago now. And it probably got banned on YouTube. I probably didn't put it on YouTube out of fear that we would be uh, under a strike like we are right now where we can't upload anything. The Associated Press has recently told its editors and reporters to avoid emphasizing case counts and stories about the disease. (sighs) Let me read that again, (laughs) folks. The Associated Press has recently told its editors and reporters to avoid emphasizing case counts and stories about the disease. That means, for example, no more stories focused solely on a particular uh, country or state, setting a one-day record for number of cases because that claim has become unreliable. Yeah. I thought this was white, Bill. By the way, they said that it was unreliable. I cut this paragraph out. They said the claim is unreliable because the numbers are likely way more than that because there's a lot of people that are asymptomatic now that aren't actually testing. And so the data that they're reporting is actually so far off. It's so much worse that it's unreliable data for them to post. Now. Now that we have asymptomatic infections. Not like when we had asymptomatic infections before. Yeah. Somehow this is white pill. How's this white pill? Let me see. Um, An AP story Saturday by Jennifer Cinco Keller and Terry Tang. Great name. Terry Tang. Back up, Terry. (laughs) (laughs) headline Omicron explosion spurs nationwide breakdown of services was full of statistics from across the United States on hospitalization rates or employees calling out sick from work. The case count metric was not used. Many news organizations are debating how best to use statistics now during the Omicron surge, but there are no easy answers. Hospitalization and death rates are considered by some to be a more reliable picture of COVID 19s current impact on society. (laughs) hospitalization and death rates hospitalization and death rates are considered by some to be a more reliable picture of COVID 19s current impact on society it's a white pill it's a white pill that they're finally that that they're catching up okay that's a that's what it is yet even the usefulness of those numbers has been called into question in recent days in many cases hospitalizations are incidental there are people being admitted for other reasons and are surprised to find they test positive for covid says tanya lewis senior editor for health and medicine at scientific american there are some in public health and journalism who believe the current surge painful as it is may augur good news It could be a sign that COVID-19 is headed toward becoming an endemic disease that people learn to live with rather than being a disruptive pandemic, wrote David Lennonhart and Ashley Wu in the New York Times. Well, now that it's in the New York Times and the Associated Press and all of that, you know, and Biden's president, everything's fine. So everything's fine. Another thing about everything's fine about those hospitalization things real quick. We're not going to do this whole article, but the UC San Francisco director of the ER COVID response, by the way, was talking in this article. And she said she examined the charts of every COVID positive patient at UCSF hospitals on January 4th 
and discovered that 70% of them were in the hospital for other reasons. She said she looked at four UCSF campuses and identified 44 hospitalized patients, including adults and children who had COVID. Of those patients, only 13 have been admitted to the hospital because of COVID. And in this article, they were talking about how the issue right now is not with COVID, it's with staffing. And so that's what, and that is what the UC San Francisco director of the ER COVID response is saying, that this, the problem is not Omicron cases, it's, it's our staffing. Well, I'm, I'm with Magoo here. This is the most frustrating part about this entire thing, because from the very beginning, Nate and I were talking about how there are more than, there's more than one way that people die. Mm-hmm. And when you completely destroy an economy, you create the gut. This is why we keep saying this, the government's response to COVID 19, not because of COVID 19 is the government's response. You destroy all these things, massive unemployment, the stock market crashes, although it did come right back up and then new highs or whatever, but the economy is completely destroyed, supply chains, massive issues, all of this, all of these things that's going to take years to recover from. Another hundred million people are going to starve to death because of this. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable how many more people we we're going to kill because of the response to something that is now it's endemic and we're just going to, have to live with it. Yep. And there was nothing we could do about it from the, from the very beginning and nothing, all we, of those things should have been taken into consideration. This is what's so maddening is we just destroyed everything just to be like, Oh, we're going to live with it. And you know, the argument will be that just imagine how much worse it would have been if we wouldn't have done all those lockdowns and all those mitigation numbers, Charlie, you're lucky. You're lucky that they did all that because this would just be so much worse. I know. You know? I know. I'm I'm counting my chickens every morning. Yep. That's uh I don't I don't I don't know why. Are you doing it before they hatch or or after they hatch? I just count them. Okay. In just, the morning for luck. That's what they Oh, you count told your told me when I went to Australia. I got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you keep all of a all of them in a basket. Put all your counted chickens in the same basket. That's what they always say to do. A couple other good points people are making. Amanda said the Staffing problems because they're making people stay home for asymptomatic cases. Another thing that this ER director pointed out uh, was that they're also quarantining people that had exposure to COVID. And so if you're working at a hospital and they end up quarantining you because you had exposure, then you're going to end up losing a ton of your staff really quickly. And so she was talking about California specifically, UCSF in that case. So anyway, we'll, uh, we'll maybe get into that article because it's got a lot of good juicy details in it tomorrow because today we're only being positive. Mm. I don't know if you noticed. Well, look, Nate, Rome wasn't burned in a day. That's true. So we have to take this one step at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, when you put it that way, I feel a whole lot better. You know? I just, yeah. I'm just slap happy as a clam. Mm-hmm. So, um, the white pill of all of this is we were right. <laughs> you know that feels good. That's actually the white pill. That's that's what feels good, folks. The actually, to me, so the reason I picked these when I was making white pill was that the narrative is shifting. That most of them had to do with people. My my white pill was people standing their ground, people stepping out and actually saying things that were controversial, people sticking to their guns, people actually trying to say the truth out there. Same reason this ER thing was out there, this ER director uh, over, over four hospitals or the person who's organizing the ER response to COVID coming out here and saying that COVID is not the problem right now that it's our staffing that's the problem it's all people who are stepping out there and, and speaking also she the says in here that it's a bunch of people flooding the er looking for reassurance and all this stuff because there's a ton yeah. of fear well, associated with all of this that's one thing that you know you were mentioning there are hospitals around nashville the er's are just full packed full of people all the time and one issue we have right now is that people use er's like they're a walk-in clinic and so it's not exactly like they're going to the ER because they're sick and dying from COVID or anything. They're just coming in there so they can get tested or so they can see if they need any treatment. And this person even says in the article, most of them, they see them and they go home. That's, that's what happens. So anyhow, just imagine one more little thing real quick. 70% of those people were incidental. We were seeing numbers like 65%. We're seeing numbers like 50% from New York. This is starting to make me question the death numbers since we know 
that all of those people that were in the hospital, that until the last couple weeks or so were counted as COVID hospitalizations, went down as a COVID death also. So what do you think the actual number is going to be if they end up looking into that data? It honestly be pretty easy to yeah. look at the data. You just have to look at the primary diagnosis mm-hmm. of the patient. And so now they're going or, back and, and reference that to the complaint. Um, when the, when the person comes in with a complaint, that's all tracked. Another um, could easily run a query on it. I know the number is a lot more inflated right now because of the highly transmissible Omicron variant, uh, but even the hospital in California, LA County, I believe we talked about yesterday was saying that, um, what was it? 20% of the cases were incidental. I think they were talking about. So maybe it's 80% from that time. And then maybe it's gone up to 50% are actually in there because of COVID or gone down to 50% are actually in there because of COVID right now. I would like to see what the death number is. Just saying it's not zero. No, it's not zero. A lot of people have died. Too many people. Yes. On, on both sides that were fine. Yes. Okay. All right, let's go. A friend of mine went to, yeah. you know, he had COVID and went to the hospital because of COVID and died because of COVID. He didn't have anything else. Um, so there's at least one mm-hmm. that I know of for sure. Uh, but I, yeah, I bet the number is pretty skewed there. And, you know, Daisy said she's still not feeling good. So let me tell you another way you can think about this, which is not only were we right, but we were right because we were seeking the truth. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what Barack Obama says, okay? Jesus was right. When you seek the truth, ye shall find. Yep, yep, yep. That's I think that's the the new King James version of of the the biblical stories. Yeah. So that's the you know being the only reason why we were right is because we were just being truthful with the numbers and the data and saying, look, pay attention. To just what's being going objective. On. Being objective and saying, yeah. At, you know, this can be scary. Uh, you should do things to protect yourself, but let's look at the data. Let's look at what it's saying and, and then base decisions off of that and not leave everything else to, to die and focus on one thing. You have to take all kinds of things in consideration. So I feel like uh, to me, that's what we can feel good about. Even as frustrating as it is to be gaslit for two years, you know, you can still survive the fire. So anyway, if you enjoyed today's episode, then please share the show with a friend, a family member, the children and all your COVID positive neighbors, because they probably have it. Okay. So share the show with them. Leave us a rating rating and review on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Hit the follow button. Uh, Go follow us on rumble. YouTube. If you can find us, it's like uh, a getter Twitter. We're everywhere. Folks. TikToks anonymous. (laughs) Go follow us. Everywhere you can follow us. And if you do all of those things, we'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you have a good day and a good morning, (laughs) Liberty.